Hello, I'm Nick Baker, and this is the UK Wildlife Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Neil Phillips. And me, Victoria Hillman. We have a very autumnal-themed episode today, but we'll get stuck in with the podcast news. So, have you seen anything interesting recently, Vic? No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite short and sweet, wasn't it? Um, yeah. No, not really. We've had pretty horrible weather, to be fair, the last few days, as as is probably most of the UK. Saw a few wasps today, and to be honest, that's about it. The tawny owls started calling again last night, which was really nice, but... Yeah, that's actually about it. How about you, Neil? I'm pretty sure you've probably had a more exciting time of it than I have. Not really. I got out last week, I think one day, and had a little walk around my Dragonfly Servo site. I meant to do one one a month and haven't managed to get over there this month. The weather's been a bit all over the place when I could get there. But I went looking for dragonflies and found two common daughters. And now I think that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> but I might have seen another common daughter. But I took my dipping gear because there's some really nice looking Borodikes, which is, for those who don't know, in Essex, where they built the sea wall, they're quite often... Behind the seawall on the land side, there's a big ditch where they've dug all the material out to build the wall, which make these long ditches that can be slightly saline and very rich. Unfortunately, we've had no rain. Well, we have now, but we hadn't had no rain. Hadn't had no rain? Hadn't had any rain, is correct English. And, yeah, it was basically mud. <laughs> so my net was pointless. But I did get oh, a bit more on a consolation prize. I mean, they are feathery things. As I walked to the site, I could see some white dots among the cattle and I got my hopes up and they were yeah they were cattle egrets six of them which is the most I've ever seen in Essex and possibly every in one place now I think about it I just realised that yeah never seen more than six in one place so that's pretty that's good that's pretty cool got a couple of pictures people might have seen them on social media the only other news is that I ran a Pong Creature Photography Workshop at the weekend which went down quite well so thanks everyone at Sorry Wildlife Trust and my attendees if any of you are listening so that was a really nice day all obviously COVID safe compliant and all that that was good I've I've had another day out with my new little camera which has been really good and definitely getting getting to grips with that a bit better now so there will be more images from that coming soon lots of lovely colourful leaves there will be a lot of leaves indeed (laughs) so on to the wildlife news so I think you're going to kick us off with a positive story Neil yes and, well, I say local, it's actually, couldn't actually be any further away from me in Essex, pretty much. But Fingenho Wicks, which is an Essex Wildlife Trust Reserve, up in the northwest corner of the county, right on the coast, absolutely fabulous. Best place for nightingales in Essex, good for adders and dragonflies and all sorts of wonderful stuff. Five years ago at Fingenho, they breached the sea wall and allowed the sea basically to flood at high tide. And this has allowed the land to actually revert to salt marsh and similar sort of habitats that are slightly saline which has massively boosted the numbers of birds and fish and general sort of salt marsh wildlife they've been finding new species of fish like the fin-lipped grey mullet it's it's just showing that this is a rather successful thing they've done a similar thing at Abbott's Hall Farm down the coast which is another Essex Wildlife Trust Reserve but it's quite nice to have a positive story especially considering this is actually the original Essex Wildlife Trust Reserve in a rare turn of of fate I'm actually going to do a bad news story. It's normally me with the good news stories. But this one's actually about adders. And we have actually shared this a- across our social media. So you've probably already seen this news. But it's the, the sky. It's a really stark warning, really, that game birds could wipe out adders in most of Britain within 12 years. And it is a stark warning. It comes at the start of the pheasant shooting season, which will see around 47 million non-native pheasants, around 10 million partridge released into the countryside across Britain. Now, Nigel Hand, who's a trustee of the Amphibian and Reptile Groups of the UK, who's been studying adder 
sites for 20 years said the adder is on the brink of extinction in many sites across Britain and it's the uncontrolled release of millions of pheasants by shooting estates which is pushing it over the brink. At this rate the adder will be extinct over much of its range by 2032 so it's essential we take action now to conserve it. In the UK, the adder is actually a protected species and it, it is suffering from numerous angles, habitat destruction, disturbance as well, you know, fragmentation of habitats and something we'll, we'll probably talk about more next year, but disturbance by people wanting to try and photograph adders as well does cause a big problem. But the chief executive of the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust that the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust has carried out detailed research that measured the effects of released pheasant and red-legged partridge on other wildlife and wildlife habitats. We found that the releasing of lowland game birds can be done in a way that minimises or avoids negative effects on habitats and other wildlife and maximises the potential of management practices associated with releasing to deliver broader biodiversity benefit. I personally have seen pheasants attacking adders I'm not the only one. They will decimate our reptile population. The interest of fairness wanted to put both quotes in there, but you can read the full article. We will put the link on there and you can read the full article um, about that. There is a bit of controversy behind this story, isn't there? Because basically there isn't a scientific study that shows what effect pheasants have. There's a lot of very experienced and knowledgeable herpetologists that think it's a problem and have observed him being eaten and have observed population disappearing i mean we had nick baker said the same didn't he even ollo williams said something about it as well it's it's not a coincidence that this until recently was sort of like a dark secret of the countryside wasn't it that pheasants you know you put double the biomass of all britain's wild birds into the countryside even if you feed them as well it's going to have an effect of course the habitat that's preserved for pheasants can benefit birds of small birds because of course it can because it's given them more habitat but a lot of that habitat is taken up by the pheasant anyway and i can't see in what way it really benefits reptiles enough to counteract them feeding on them the exeter university have been doing some studies and they released that study and they interestingly jointly with the game wildlife conservation trust but not arg or anyone else which is a bit interesting but it's not going to the politics of that and they admitted that basically there isn't enough we don't know is the answer but there's a lot to be concerned about and it needs to be properly investigated and there's there's no regulation of release of game birds in this country which is extraordinary We, we spoke to Derek gow and we're trying to get native species introduced you have to jump through gajillions of hoops but to release if i wanted to go and release a hundred game birds in my garden there's literally no law to stop me it's insane yeah like i said you know it's definitely an area that i think needs needs more research there's a lot of herpetologists and a lot of people that actually go out and they will spend their spring times surveying adder populations on a voluntary basis that have seen the impacts as well because when you go out and survey adders yes you're going out to survey adders but chances are you're probably going to find slow worms viviparous lizards and then you know maybe a few other things as well depending on where you're surveying and you see a lot when you're out that much yes sorry another negative story another bird of prey has been killed poisoning this time this time in Staffordshire, so at least it was in Yorkshire this time, they've offered a reward for four dead birds of prey. So a common buzzard, peregrine falcons. I can't keep track of them all now. It's, it's just ridiculous. Satellite tags going missing, dead bodies, goshawks being shot by a masked gunman, but the police won't do anything because they can't prosecute. Oh, it's all depressing. And then to add to the fun, one of these mysterious, according to some groups, mysteriously disappearing, the satellite tag turned up wrapped in lead on the side of a river. 
which is not suspicious at all. And as you'd expect, the usual suspects, like a certainly recently mentioned organisation, have totally ignored it. One of the shooting fraternity said it showed why we needed to independently monitor these satellite tags. So they somehow twisted that into criticism of the RSPB satellite tagging birds. Yeah, it's like a broken record. Basically, every news we talk about a raptor being killed of some we description, do. don't yeah. we? It seems, and we don't even cover. We don't. If we don't, we've just left it off because we try not to put it in every single episode. <laughs> yeah, but it seems to come up. Uh, we could time, certainly put it? a new story in every episode right now, and yeah. multiple in sometimes. But yeah, but you've got a couple of positive stories. I have, to balance it um, out, and Nick. this one's actually from Ireland, and this is the rarest fern in Europe has been discovered in Killarney in Ireland, leaving botanists baffled over how it remained undetected for so long. So it's actually a neotropical fern, a Stenogrammatis myosurides. Hoping I've pronounced that correctly. Well done, I have done that one. <laughs> um, it's only ever previously been found in the mountainous cloud forests of Jamaica, Cuba and the Dominican Republic, which is over 4,000 miles away. But scientists believe it's most likely that the fern is a relic from thousands of years ago when there was a very different climate and just quietly prospered, you know, in this little area on the rocks on the kind of mid-Atlantic fringe. So, you know, I think that's a that's a fantastic news story. Always good to have a little fern story in there. I do love my ferns. So now we're going to come on to something that is... It is not UK wildlife news per se, but as it made both of us chuckle because of our senses of humour. <laughs> and we thought this would actually give our listeners a chuckle as well. Our final news story is about swearing parrots. And <laughs> some of you may or may not have actually heard this story, but a group of five African grey parrots have been put into isolation at a wildlife park on account of their bad language. So this group were adopted by the park back in August and put into isolation together where they would swear and laugh at each other. So basically egging each other on. Then they were put on display. But then within a short period of time being on display to the public, there were reports of them swearing at park visitors. <laughs> so... The, the park have put them back into isolation and they've said they will be split up when they go back on display. <laughs> it was one of the best news stories I've actually heard in a while. It made me chuckle. Well, that's the end of the news. So on to our main topic, which is quite fitting, being it's the first episode of the first fully autumnal month of the year. Well, it depends how you define autumn, isn't it? I'll go start that Meteorological um, autumn. But yes, yep. there we go. That's the way to do it. Autumn colours. We're going to talk about the colours of leaves in autumn. So, time of year again. Nature gives us that one last show of colour before we head into the depression of winter. <laughs> I don't like winter. <laughs> Not enough insects for me. What causes all these colours in our deciduous trees? Because, of course, spruce and pine and all these non-deciduous trees, coniferous trees, they have special waxy coatings and all sorts of adaptations in their leaves to stop them freezing so they can keep them all year round. Well, Vic has been getting very geeky and sciencey and all this stuff she's gone beyond the core of duty <laughs> on this one so the reason we have colors is that within a leaf there'll be several different pigments that they use throughout the year in the spring and summer but all we see is the green leaves because the chlorophyll is basically dominant over the others chlorophyll is green in color so leaves look green unless you've got some sort of variegated plant obviously but let's not get into that and they just constantly keep up high levels of chlorophyll throughout the summer months because chlorophyll is a major 
component of photosynthesis is how they get their food and grow. I think Vic's going to start getting a bit more detail. I am. Now, this is something that absolutely fascinates me. And autumn is actually one of my favourite seasons. To start with, them, I'm a September baby. So I was kind of born in autumn anyway. And I just love that last spectacular display of colour that we get. So as summer slowly fades and starts to give way to autumn, the trees begin their preparation for winter. So chlorophyll production ceases and existing chlorophyll in the leaves begins to break down. Now the essential nutrients in the leaves that can be reused are actually transferred out of the leaves into the branches back into the main part of the tree. And this is where we start to see the green colours fade and other colours such as the yellows and oranges come through. And as autumn progresses, the trees start to cut off contact with the leaves and they do this by the formation of cells across the base of the leaf stalk in preparation for leaf shedding. And this restricts the movements of sugars. And it's these trapped sugars that become concentrated in the leaves and promote the production of anthocyanins. And it's these which produce the vibrant kind of red magenta pigments that we see. And these are actually the only ones that are produced in the autumn and normally when it's bright and cold. We're going to have a little bit of a talk about what the things that make the colours are really. So what are the different colours we see? What's behind them? So green, as I mentioned, is chlorophyll. The yellows come from carotenoids and flavonoids. And the oranges come from carotenoids, which you might know. Sounds like carrot, and that's not a coincidence, because that is what makes carrots orange. I'm going to let Vic go fully geeky on this one, so where you go, Vic? Okay, so just kind of a little insight into what each one of them does. So we're going to start with chlorophyll, as this is the most dominant one in the plant. It's a chemical contained within the chloroplasts in the leaf cells. And as Neil mentioned, it's actually an essential component of photosynthesis. And this is the process by which plants and some other organisms, I will mention, convert the sun's energy into chemical energy, which is used to convert water, carbon dioxide and minerals into energy-rich carbohydrates. And these sugars are then used by the plants to grow. But as summer turns to autumn and temperatures begin to drop and light begins to fade, the trees begin to prepare for winter. So what are the other colours and pigments then? So we have the flavonoids and carotenoids. It's actually a really large family of chemical compounds and they're actually present in the leaves with the chlorophyll pretty much all year round, but we don't see them because they're present in much lower levels than the chlorophyll. So the chlorophyll actually masks these colours. It's just a dominant pigment. But as the chlorophyll degrades, the green colours fade, the yellows and oranges become more noticeable. Now the flavonoids contribute to the yellow colours with the carotenoids contributing yellows, oranges and even reds. Although these compounds also degrade, they actually do so at a much slower rate than the chlorophyll which is why we kind of see them gradually turning. But then there's one other pigment and we actually only see this pigment as we get kind of further into autumn and these are the anthocyanins. These compounds are actually members of the flavonoid family but are not commonly present in leaves during the spring and summer months. But as the days shorten, their synthesis is actually initiated by the increase in sugar concentrations in the leaves. So although their precise role is unclear, it's thought they might have some light protective properties, allowing the tree to protect its leaves from light damage and extend the length of time they're on the tree before being shed. So the anthocyanins produce the vivid reds, purples and magentas that we see a little bit later on in autumn. And it's thought these colours may actually be affected by the acidity of the tree sap as well. So why do we see differences in colours? and intensity of colours from year to year. It's actually down to the weather, really. So the difference in the colours and intensities are influenced by the combination of weather conditions and the chemical processes taking place in the trees. And there are actually three main conditions that influence the colours. Cold nights. We know that as we get into autumn, temperatures start to drop at night time. But these lower temperatures actually destroy the chlorophyll in the leaves, causing the green colour to fade. If temperatures stay above freezing, the production of anthocyanins is enhanced which produces more red colors drier weather 
So during dry weather, the sugars actually become more concentrated in the leaves. This also enhances the anthocyanin production, leading to the redder colours in the leaves. What if we get bright, sunny days in early autumn? Much as we had this year, I mean, the beginning part of September was absolutely stunning. It was, you know, we had really, really lovely September. But by this time, chlorophyll production has actually stopped. But if we have these bright, sunny days, photosynthesis can actually still occur and this actually uses up the remaining chlorophyll, which in turn increases the sugar concentrations and therefore the vibrancy of the colours. So basically, in years that we have warm, sunny, early autumns, we see more intense colours in the leaves. Yeah, you get that really spectacular display. And these are the conditions that we're seeing this year. So fingers crossed the autumn storms <laughs> don't blow all the leaves away before we actually get to see them, which uh, I think last year we just started getting really nice colours and then we had a, a big wind come in and a frost soon after and that sort of knocked almost everything out of the trees yeah we had, we had two back-to-back storms like consecutive weeks and it did pretty much just take everything off the trees last year just as it was getting good as well yeah so hopefully there'll be a good show at doors hall and there will be open days at doors hall so anyone listening essex and suffolk keep an eye on the website there'll be news on that and it's usually a good show there because there's loads of aces and loads of cool trees like that oh i do love a good acer so yeah i've got yeah, there's two places one place is to go near vic and one place to go near me so <laughs> So yeah, well, I should probably mention the place to go near me, really, shouldn't I? Western Burt Arboretum is absolutely stunning at this time of year. It is open. Do you have to pre-book your time slot? And yeah, I'm, I'm actually a Friends of Western Burt member. I, I love going up there. It's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, so if, if you're in this area, it's definitely worth going up and and checking out. Yeah, I think that's it from us. I don't think we've got anything more to add. Nice short one to start the month off, but we're hoping to do three more. We're going to go for four episodes in a month, which we've never done before, so we shall see. <laughs> and we've got some... Yes, and we've got some two very interesting guests lined up, as we alluded to on our social media earlier. Very different guests, different jobs, but both with a passion and a love of nature. And the last one will be with the person that probably inspired me to do this podcast i think it's the person that gave me the idea so it'd be great to get my good friend on so we'll talk more about that later but that's going to be a halloween special so uh, something a bit more fun than we've been talking about recently i think i think that's it from us isn't it i think it is see you next time guys all right take care Bye. bye